This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. Yesterday when we were worshipping, I had a picture from God, which I think will be helpful for some of you. Um, He showed me my, my wedding ring. Now, I've been married for 22 years, and this ri- that's my husband back there, Woo! Um, and this ring represents my faithfulness to him and my sacrificial love for him over years and years and years and years, um, and what God was saying to me was, he, marriage is a covenant, it's a promise, it's a, it's a relationship that you go into and you promise something really special to each other. And what God was saying is he wants to have that covenant with you, okay? That special, intimate relationship that is one-on-one, okay? Where he shows you his faithfulness, his wonder, his glory. He shows you how much he loves and adores every one of you. And what he was saying is that there might be a few people here who haven't experienced that sort of love from anybody before. You might have felt really let down. You might... um, have experienced, I don't know, parenting or relationships that are not positive or are not helpful. And what God wants to say is he is completely faithful and the relationship he's offering you, the special covenant that he's offering you, is um, completely trustworthy. He loves you, he's passionate for you, and he's completely faithful. So we have all slept okay? No. No. Why? It was freezing last night, wasn't it? I have to say. Absolutely freezing. Anyway, we're going to find out how you guys are camping, like where you're camping and what, uh, in, in a minute, okay? I think uh, I wasn't here in the morning, but I know last night when Josh was speaking, it was a really good challenging talk for us. And uh, I know yesterday's theme was all about this sense of God calling us and sending us and wanting to use us uh, in our daily lives. And actually today, we're going to be looking at actually the similar kind of thing, but, but how God wants to use us in, in loving and reaching out to our friends and where, where, uh, in terms of where you live and where you go to school, uh, maybe some of the, you that work as well. Um, I'm from a place called Whitehaven, which is right up in the north of Cumbria. It's kind of just, in fact, my house, I can see the hills of Scotland and then the Isle of Man uh, across the sea. So we're right from the northwest, completely cut off. Well, it feels like you're cut off from the whole of society, to be honest. Um, I grew up there, and from there, and just re- and over the past four or five years, we've planted a church there as well. So a lot of what I'm going to be talking about is kind of my experience growing up in my hometown. And obviously, I'm planting a church in my hometown, and uh, the challenges that kind of come with that. But I'm kind of going to share again a little bit, like yesterday, we heard people's stories, I'm going to... I'm going to share a bit of my story. I'm going to ask you to help with some of that, with some of that as well. And um, so I want people with, anybody with like sort of black, kind of or brown curly hair? You've got curly hair, haven't you? Anyone? Just hands up, just really quick, because I need a volunteer later on. So I need to prepare you rather than shock you. It has to be a boy. Okay. Otherwise, I'll just pick on someone else, actually. It'll be fine. But anyway. Right. So what I want to do is starting off with a story about a guy. Can I just flick this now, uh, Nathan? 
Okay, so we're going to be looking at loving the lost where we live, okay? And I want to start with a story about a guy called Larry Walters. Now, Larry Walters wanted desperately to see his neighborhood. So where he lived, he desperately wanted to see his neighborhood, not by a car, not on a bike, not by walking around, not by knocking on people's doors and saying hi or anything. Instead, he wanted to jump in a chair like this, attach a load of hot air balloons to it, and be lifted up off the ground and see his neighborhood right from the top of the sky, okay? A bit crazy. It's a true story, by the way, as well, all right? What spurred him to do this is that from a very young age, he always wanted to be a pilot, and he wasn't clever enough or good enough to be a pilot. So he got himself a chair like that, strapped them water balls to it, which is obviously, like, you know, to be kind of like uh, empty to start with, and then he went down to his local shop, he bought all these big, big, huge balloons, which look like that. And from his front garden, put himself in the chair, this is what the article said. In the afternoon, he strapped himself to his lawn chair, he took several of his friends, tied the helium-filled balloons, he took a six-pack of beer, a peanut butter and jam sandwich, a BB gun, figuring that when he get, got too high, he'd start shooting the balloons down. And uh, when he was ready to land. But what happened was he kind of freaked out when he got up in the air. And he had a walkie-talkie or like, what do you call them these days? I don't know. Two-way radio system. I like it. He had a two-way radio system. His wife on the ground with one and him up in the air. And his wife going, what are you doing? You idiot. I told you it wouldn't work. And he's from the top going, I don't know what to do now. If I shoot them down, I might fall, land, crash, kill myself. And obviously the woman, as always, is right in a situation. So he didn't listen to a word that she said. So this is what happened. Because he was too scared to shoot these balloons down with his BB gun, he got as far as 15,000 feet in the air. 15,000 feet. So high, right? He lived near LAX, the LA airport. Okay, he got so high that the airport had to close for the afternoon because aeroplanes were coming into land and this guy's up in the air going, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. And his wife going, I told you it wouldn't work, I told you. So imagine like the airplane pilot kind of driving along going, what's this guy doing? So anyway, what happened? Right bang in the smack of air traffic control and he closed the whole airport down. Too frightened again to shoot any of the balloons down. He stayed airborne for more than two hours in this thing. Two hours. He must have drank his six-pack of beer in about five minutes. So he had nothing to drink then for about an hour and 55 minutes. And definitely uh, probably chucked his sandwich out because he was too sick to eat it. But anyway, he kind of ended up there for two hours and uh, caused long delays, not just in L.A., but right across the country. What an idiot. Soon after, he was actually safely grounded. He eventually managed to shoot some of these balloons and he started to drop and uh, he landed, thankfully. Uh, There was another picture of where he's kind of walking with his his deck chair, (laughs) escorted by all these balloons. And uh, obviously by this point, the media and the reporters get wind of this uh, story and they're all on the ground. They find out all the helicopters are out. They're trying to find where he's going to land and he, he lands... Uh, not far from where his house is, and uh, after all of that, 
And, um, and what happens is the reporters come up to him and they ask him three questions. They said, were you scared? What do you think his answer was? Yes. Would you do it again? What do you think his answer was? No. no. Why did you do it? And you know what he said? Because you just can't sit there and do nothing. It's like, really? Nothing more profound than you just can't sit there and do nothing. I want to talk to us specifically as Christians today and ask the question that's kind of been, I guess, being asked a little, kind of in a roundabout way. But as Christians, can we just sit and do nothing? If we've received the answer and the hope of the world, which is Jesus Christ, if he is the only forgiver of sins, if he is the only truth, if he's the only way, if he's the only answer, can we as Christians just sit and do nothing? I like that answer. No, we can't. And yet, there's a mistake that we can make as Christians that we leave all the reaching out all that evangelism stuff that you might have heard of, which is all about reaching out, telling people about Jesus. The mistake we can make is that we, we just leave it to like the leader types in our church or our youth leaders or our mums and dads because they're just a bit cheesy when they do it and we don't want to be like them. Or we leave it to the ones who are a bit gifted, you, know, you might think are better than you, more gifted than you. Or the ones who like, you just think, I can't go up to a friend and just start praying for them. I can't go up to a friend and just start talking about Jesus. That's just too scary. And what we do, we can then just, what's the word? We can then just sort of back off, stand back, leave it to other people. So let me ask you a question. I wanna, I'm going to get you to move a little bit, okay? Hands up if you're camping this weekend in the tent. Oof. Right, I want you to all move over here. As quick as you can. <laughs> okay. Quick as you can, quick as you can. <laughs> I hope this is going to work. <laughs> Okay, just quickly sit, or just stay there. You can stand, sit, it doesn't matter. You can stand up if you want to stretch your legs. Okay, how many are sleeping now then in a caravan? Hotel? Hello. Oh, you're in a hotel. Oh, you're in a caravan. So we've got caravan man over here. Sorry you're on your own, buddy. And we've got some hotelers here. Okay, now I want you guys to look over here from what, I, from what I said about that statement about the rest of us thinking that it's the gifted ones, the ones who are in better accommodation, nice and warm at night, nice showers, not that I'm jealous or anything like that, boo. Or in, even in a hotel, that's even worse, that's terrible. Health and safety, sorry. Sorry, were you, were you hurt in that exercise? No, good, that's all right, that's fine, good. Right, now for most of us, which is the case in the church today, we, we over here look and go, mm, we can't be like them. I mean, they're, they're, kind of, they don't, they're a bit weird because they go up to their friends and they talk about Jesus. And the rest of us are kind of over here on our own. I'm glad that kind of worked, right? You can go back to where you were sitting. Where's Yaz? Yaz, I need like a 10-minute warning because I know what I'm like. Okay. 
Okay. So, what God wants for you, so if you're a Christian here this morning, you are part of God's family, you are sons, you're daughters of the Father, you belong in the church and are the church. A church for me is not a building, it's not where you meet on a Sunday, it's Christians who have God himself through the Holy Spirit filling us and dwelling in us and having a personal relationship with him. Josh said last night, it's not about rules, it's not about regulations, it's not about becoming a better person. It's about allowing Jesus to change you. It's about living for Jesus. It's that covenant that we heard before. His promise to us. And we live in like praise and we live in adoration of that. We, we live appreciative lives. We're like, Lord, I didn't deserve to be saved, yet you saved me. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we go on. So in the church, we don't want young people and children, certainly in, in the church that, that we planted a, uh, in Whitehaven. <coughs> Can we just have questions about Manchester United, by the way? And maybe like how we get on in the season? No difficult ones. Okay, please. Anyway, I'm only joking. So what we can do is we can get... We can end up just cutting ourselves off, thinking that we're not good enough, or we're too young, or, or, or et cetera, et cetera. But God wants you to know this weekend and for the rest of your life, that as you grow, you're part of God's family. You're part of God's church, and God has called us all to be a mission together. We're going to have a look at a guy called the Apostle Paul. And he writes this to a church in a place called Corinth, in Greece somewhere, okay? Hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Thousands of years ago. Yet it's still there because this is God's truth. So this is from the Bible. And it says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to, the, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Although I myself, I'm not under the law. I'm free. That's what he's saying. So as to win those under, who are under the law. To those who, not, under, not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Although I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. Com- confused yet? Don't worry, I'll, make it, I'll simplify it. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I've become to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, that I may share in its blessings. Later on, Paul talks about to the church and says to the church, I want you to imitate my heart. I want you to imitate what I've just written. I want you to imitate that in order to reach your friends, you've got to win them. I'm going to look at what that means about winning our friends. We're going to talk about what it means to see some of our friends saved. Hopefully in the meantime, you're going to understand a little bit about what God's done for you in saving you as well. But later, Paul talks about imitating him because hating Jesus. And he says this to a church, just he would say it to you today. So what Paul would say today, if you're standing here, is imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. If you're a Christian, our call is to imitate Jesus. What did Jesus do? He won people to save people. Living out and living for Jesus is something that's meant for all of us. And I hope today that you're going to go away thinking, do you know what? With God's I can do this. I can actually win some of my friends. 
I can show my friends that actually Christianity isn't boring. Jesus isn't boring. He's worth following. He's worth getting to know. Pulled just to sit and do nothing? Two of you agree with me. Fantastic. I'm really faith-filled for this. Okay, fantastic. Right, first point. No, not that one. We'll look at that in a minute. Paul says he was free. See, back in the, back in the, back in the Bible days, we'll call them, religious people thought what it, what it was to be close to God, they had to follow a whole bunch of God's laws and rules. And at the time, that was true. But what that revealed was that actually mankind, not one human being could follow those rules perfectly to live up to the, to the huge, perfect standard of God. And that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus came and he was the perfect and live out the rules and the law that God put in place. Therefore, what Paul's saying is, I couldn't do it. Jesus could. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus and I'm going to be free now to go out and win the week to win the Jews, I'm going, to, I'm going to mix with the Jews to win the Jews. I'm going to mix with those who, are, who don't care about Jewish law and they're just a bunch of pagans and this, that and the other. I'm going to hang out with them to win them. I'm going to win the weak who in, in this case would be like the poor and the needy. I'm going to basically spend time with people from all kinds of different groups, backgrounds, educational backgrounds, you name it, in order to win them to see some saved. This, is, was, his, this was his passion. So let me ask you another question. How many of you now, at this moment, see yourself as a missionary? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ooh, I'm a bit scared now. We often think missionaries are people who go to other countries, yeah? But that's not true. Well, it is true, but it's not the whole truth. See, wherever you live, you're called to be a missionary for Jesus. You don't have to go to another country. You don't have to go and work for another organization. God's plan for the church is that he puts churches in towns that are full of missionaries. People like you, people like you, people like me. People like my sons, people like the little kids that we've got in our church. Think of your church. Your church is not there just to put on worship meetings, have a great time, Come to youth group, hang out with your mates and friends, as great that as that is. God's called you to be missionaries where you live. We've got to get that old-fashioned way of thinking out of our minds. So let me ask you again. How many of you are missionaries? And I'm taking those who put your hands up. You're Christians, you know Jesus. Fantastic. I want you to remember, if anything, remember that, Okay. The reason being is that Jesus says, in that you will be my witnesses, first to Jerusalem, then to the, to the area, then to your enemies who don't really like you and they've got different religious beliefs to you and, and, and they're quite antagonistic and aggressive and violent towards you. And then, if that's not hard enough, go to the whole world, go to the, whole, uh, go to the nations. And actually, those words of you will be my witnesses, first to where you live and then to the ends of the earth, need to ring very clear in our minds today. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You might have been a Christian for a couple of months. You might have even become a Christian over the last couple of days here at Devoted. If that's the case, you're God's missionary. You're the agent of Jesus' kingdom. You're like a secret agent. That's not cool anymore, is it? No. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyway. Listen, Jesus' words to them disciples 2,000 years plus ago 
is the same words for us today. I want us to hear them as if Jesus is saying it afresh to us. You are my witnesses, firstly to Jerusalem, to everyone who doesn't really like you and believe in what you believe, and to the ends of the earth. And the thing is for me, we often skip Jerusalem. I went to a, a seminar yesterday called Reaching and Touching the Nations. So obviously that was kind of part of what Jesus has called the church to, to reach the nations with the gospel, plant churches, people saved. It's the same thing with you, uh, where you're from and, and where you go to another nation. The church is the answer. The Jesus is the answer through the church. And we often skip our Jerusalem. We often skip where we live because we just think, well, that's not exciting. It's a bit boring, isn't it? I'm not a very good person. I always let God down. I'm not very good with my friends and blah, 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 blah. Instead, what I'll do is I want to go to the nations. And that's great. If God's calling you to do that, I want to say follow it. But do you know where you're going to work that out? Do you know how you're going to progress in terms of working out that call? Is where you are now. Don't wait thinking God's just going to go, there you go, plunk, 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 to the nations. God's going to use where you are. Get into your church. Serving your youth group. That's not just serving on the worship or the the exciting looking things or whatever. Believe me, that's not exciting. That's quite stressful. I'd much rather clean toilets and hoover up and all that kind of stuff, okay? But God wants to use you where you're at. Speak to your youth leader about it when you go home. Speak to one of your elders, your leaders. Say, look, I want to serve in the church. What is there for me to do? Because I feel God's called me. In fact, God has told me, and if he, if he says anything, you can say, well, Alan said it, you can tell him off or whatever. But seriously, Jesus wants to use us where we're at. Often we don't think, when we think, we think well, you know, he did these great miracles, and, which he did. He said some great, amazing things, which he did. He got himself into trouble for saying those things, which he did. He ended up hanging on a cross, which he did. He ended up being raised from the dead, which, we did, which he did, and he ascended to heaven, which he did, which is great. But actually, before all that happened, he spent 33 years growing up in his hometown. Anyone tell me what he used to do for a living? Yeah? He was a carpenter. He made, he made chairs and tables and ordinary stuff like that. You think, oh, man, it's, this is God. This is God of the universe. Come down to save mankind, and he's making tables and, and chairs. What is he time for doing it? But Jesus had to grow like we grow. Jesus needed to be around people and peers and people that would, he would look up to and learn from. He understands what it's like to grow up in a really difficult world. So I want to say, don't, don't neglect our Jerusalem. Don't neglect where you live, okay? Because God wants to use you where you are. So Paul in these chapters here is saying, I want to win people. He says it five times in just this short little paragraph. I want to win people. I want to get mixing up with these people, Jews, non-Jews, weak, etc. I want to get involved with their lives to win them. So let me tell you a little bit about me growing up and, and how God used me to win my friends. Right. I am getting old now. I try to be cool, but I'm not. I'm just getting old. And I wake up in the morning with aching bad backs and uh, getting the wrinkles and I'm losing my hair. And I've just started using just for men. Oh, I've just confessed it. I've just confessed it. Underneath this is just white, grey, Gandalf grey. It is just, well, no, it's not really, but it's starting to get there. 
Anyway, just a confession. I don't mind confessing, being open and honest. But back in the day, when I was younger, this, you know, we've got different types of subcultures. Youth, you got, you've still got goths, and you've still got, you know, uh, oh, blimey, I'm so out of touch now with youth work. It's a long time since I've done it. You still have, like, townies and chavs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, kind of, yeah. The, your generation, there is so many different subcultures different types of group that's, that we think, oh, well, I want to fit in here, and me, but I don't fit there because I don't really like how they dress and I don't like their music and oh, they're always miserable or whatever. I want to be over here with these guys because these guys are more like me. And, and actually, I don't know if it is the same for you, but it was the same for me. I'm kind of like, where do I belong? Where do I, where do I fit in? I want to fit in somewhere. I want friends. I want to I feel part of something. And actually, I found myself kind of in an, trying to like get myself because I liked things, different things from each of the groups, but back in my day growing up, and that, that's me there, it's not really, it's not really, but it, it could be. Anyway, so back in the day, these were the teddy boys, okay? They liked Elvis, and they wore like, like sort of denim jackets, and sometimes leather jackets, the braces, they were quite, they were quite cool, the teddy boys. Then you had two other groups, you had the mods, so a lot of the music from like Oasis and Blur and all them kind of bands, indie bands, uh, indie music and all that kind of stuff actually came out of the mod, mod culture. Then you got the rockers. Uh, so like the mods would like for uh, scooters and their black ties and the big long fishtail jackets. You had the rockers, you know, they were in the Triumph like motorbikes. The motorbikes were like, like that, where the little mod scooters were like, like this. So they were kind of obviously compete when they all like rocked up together and the rockers would like rev their engines. The rockers obviously dark glasses, you know, leather jackets and this, that and the other. The problem with me, I wasn't one of them and I wasn't a mod and I wasn't a rocker. I was all three because I'm a bit weird. I, I, I liked the mod, I liked the teddy boys, I liked, I liked the hairstyle, the hairstyle fitted my, at the, at the time when I had more hair. Fitted it, I could quiff it, I could pull it back. But the mods, I used to like mod music, I used to like the jam. And, uh, but I also like rock music as well. And uh, so I kind of found myself in between both. I kind of like the black tie and the white shirt. And yeah, I like the leather jacket. And oh, I just found myself in a right pickle, really. Into <laughs> pickle, who says pickle these days? I found myself in a right mess thinking, I don't know where I belong. Which is where I need my volunteer. Come on, who's going to be brave? You don't know what you're going to do yet, but trust me, it'll be funny. Go on, come on. Let's give him a round of applause. What's your name? Adam. Adam. Right, Adam has gone out. Transforming Adam into an Alan when he was about 15, 14, 15. Are you ready for this, Adam? So, I was a bit of a mod. Just put that tie up for me. You know how to do a tie, yeah? Good man. Oh, yeah, he does. So put that tie on. Right. But I, again, I like my rocker kind of image, so I want you to put the old uh, study gloves on. If they don't fit you, just do that. You've got big hands, haven't you? Right, okay, that's fine. Let's chuck them away. There you go. <laughs> right, teddy boys back in the day used to wear a luminous pink, luminous green, or dark. Adrian's with me. Ah, oh, legend. The day I got my Illuminous Green socks. Now, I couldn't find any Illuminous Green socks, so they're, they're um, what do you call them? 
Leg warmers. Off you go, mate. Over the, you can take your shoe off. I'm going to see how rough it is down there in the camp. <laughs> go on, yeah, go on, sit down, sit down. I'm going to, you put that on as well. So, luminous green socks, my mod tie. Come on, dude, faster, ready, faster in them days. We'd be up out of bed at 8 o'clock in the morning, ready to go, with my luminous green socks on and my Jesus sandals, ready to go to school. You ready to just go to school? There you go, come on, look at the other one off. Oh, I feel like your mother. Come here. Are you sure? Are you sure? There you go. Come on. That's it. Stick your trainers back on. No, don't leave, leave them off. It's fine. Actually, no. Put them back on because they smell. Yeah. There you go. There you go. I'm only kidding. Anyway, do you think it's going to rain today? Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Good man. Give your hands. Okay, just leave me hanging. It's absolutely fine. I'm definitely going to get you back for that. Obviously, rocket jacket, leather jacket. I'd like you to put that on, please. Is he ready yet? Let's see, see, back in the day, we'd roll our jeans up. Because people, no, people need, no, you've got to do it the way we did it. Yet people needed to see those babies. They really did. Okay, so we've got your tie on, we've got your jacket on, and we normally have a white t-shirt or a shirt on it. Back in the day when I had hair, the old, t- okay, there you go. Now, let's have a look at you. Lift your head up. I told you, I thought I told you it would be funny. <laughs> He's out, you're doing really well. I'm proud of you. Just to hide you, we can put some shades on you. Okay? And then, when I got a little bit older, just, just to kind of finish the rock look. There you go. So, what I want you to do is kind of like just do a little bit of a, a catwalk with me. Okay. Ladies and age 15. Adam. No, you're Alan now. <laughs> no, no, you're Alan. Oh, no. That's the whole point. I'll, well, not 15, because I didn't have a tash, because I still don't shave. No, hardly. Come on, do a catwalk with me. There we go. Well, Adam. Alan, age 15. Alan, age 44. You can sit down. You don't have to take it off. Yeah, I'm sure you want to dress like that now. <laughs> Let's give Adam a round of applause. <laughs> Go and take him off down there. It's all right. And chuck him over. Right. Yeah, I think you can see that I was a bit weird. And um, I kind of felt a bit weird, if I'm honest. I felt, in all seriousness, completely out of each one. I didn't think I really fitted in either, in either one. And obviously... In, in the end, I would wear just a mix of each of those cultures. So I tried to be cool, failed miserably. But actually, God used it, and God used me, my kind of weirdness, to actually end up with friends out of each of those subcultures. Found that actually I grew up on a housing estate, and 
You know, so we'd all have a mix of these guys, and they'd all be like hanging out in separate groups. But they'd be like, hey, Hal, he's a teddy boy. He's got white and yellow socks on. So all the older lad guys would invite me to go across, and we'd hang out, and I'd fill part of the group. And then, obviously, the rockers and the mods would all do the same, and this, that, and the other. I just found myself bouncing in between all these different kind of groups. And what I found was that actually as a kid growing up in all of this, you start getting into trouble quite a lot, certainly where I'm from, in quite a poorer housing estate. You're in all these different types of gangs. You end up being in trouble. And for some reason, thanks, mate, for some reason, I would always get caught. I have no idea why. It's like, oh, the kid with the luminous green socks on, the one who looks like a mod rocker and a teddy boy. It was him. Ah, him. There's only one like him. Yeah, it was Alan who did it. And I'd always get caught. I'd always land up in trouble with the plan and uh, obviously get home and get in trouble with my mum and dad. But it was difficult growing up. I don't think it's any different now. We might look different. We might wear different clothes. But growing up is difficult, isn't it? Do you think growing up and trying to fit in, trying to find friends... Is it difficult or is life just really, really smooth and easy going these days? You please, please feed back to me. I need some answers. Is it? Is it easy? Hands up if it's easy. It's difficult. It might be easy if you're on your mobile phones quite a lot, which I know this, you got, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But look, God wants to use you. Use you even if you're weird like me and mix, mix your fashion up and you're in different kind of groups. But what God did through my weirdness was I started just hanging out with my friends, spent a lot of times, you know, like socializing and doing stuff. And then some of the stuff that we did down at church, that was quite good as well. And I did start inviting my friends along. And before I knew it, over a series, a number of years, actually some of my friends became Christians. Now I'm not talking about guys who were kind of like, you know, sort of, you know, really well educated, lots of money, you know, they've come from a church background and this, that, and the other. I'm talking about some of our friends whose mums abandoned them when they were only a baby. Their dads were alcoholics. They were hardly they were, they were beating the living daylights out of them. I had guys who had been sexually abused. I had guys who'd been beat up. I had guys who, you know, had one dad or no dad or fostered or adopted. People with no carpets on their floor that you walked in the house, it just smelled completely of urine and poo and things like that. It wasn't pleasant. But I found God put me in the midst of this mess. Now, I had my own issues. I had my own mess. I came from a better family, but a family nevertheless with problems. We go to church and we grew up in church and stuff like that, but by the time I hit my teenage years, I was into a lot of alcohol, lots of girls, uh, get myself into trouble, fighting, getting arrested, stealing, all that kind of stuff. I'm not proud of it t- today, but I was in the midst of all that mess. And yet God came, kept, kept coming after me. God kept, kept running to me. God kept saying, come on, Alan, what are you doing in there? Come on, I've called you to be weird in the midst of all of it. But don't be doing that. Don't destroy your life. Come on, I've called you to better things. God would say the same to us. God's called you to better things. God's called you to live out your Christian life, no matter if you've got a huge amount of problems. If I had, if I had about five weeks to do this, you'd, we still wouldn't touch my problems and my issues. I have to talk to my wife at the back in the yellow coat. She'll be nodding right now. <laughs> so what do I do now? 
That was then. But what do I do now? Well, I, I love connecting with people. Just to say, I do have social anxiety, believe it or not. And I'm going to be really open and honest with you today. <clears throat> that I've had like anxiety and depression issues since my mid-twenties. I find it very hard standing up in front of people. And I know you, again, I don't know if it like, comes across that way uh, or not, but I do. Inside, I'm kind of going, <laughs> and kind of crying a little bit and like hugging in the kind of fetal position, um, which is why I like to just interact. And I like to hear what you've got to say, which we'll find out uh, uh, shortly. Some of you. Someone's singing really nicely. So what, what happens now? I, well, what happens is I connect with people. I have a, what, I, what I like doing is what, where God uses me. So I play football. I, play, I love music. I love creating things. I love, um, you know, in our church, we do quiz nights. We do unplug nights. And we do, like, all our small groups. They're like, we do walking groups, photography groups. We do absolutely loads and loads and loads and loads of stuff. And when people join our church... And, and, and Christians come and they say, oh, you know, can we join a small group? You know, because we, we really love Bible study. And I kind of go, oh, no, here we go. Now, we do have Bible group, study groups and th- like to learn and be equipped together. But actually, all our small groups are aimed to come back to what the Bible's telling us today, that Paul was passionate about winning people. It's important to win our friends. See, sometimes we think reaching out to our friends is about being like a big bulldozer. We come with our big bulldozer of Bibles and we drive up to our friends and we go, boom, like that. And we like just pile all the, Jesus loves you, you're going to hell. Like this and your friends are looking up going, what's going on? I don't really know what you're talking about. And we feel like, you know, we've got to bombard people with, with the gospel message. But actually, what Paul's saying is we need to win people first. What does winning people look like? It's making friends. It's as simple as that. We can make friends. We think outreach evangelism is like when we, oh, I've got to go up to that person and pray. They don't know me, and I've got to pray. Oh, you've got to go down like that. Okay, like that. Sorry for freaking you out there. Oh, oh, I've got to go up to that person because I've got a limp and I've got to pray for healing. And I'm not saying God won't ask you to do stuff like that and crazy stuff like that. But one thing I know God calls us all to do is to win people, to make friends with people because that's what Jesus himself did. Remember the beginning, Paul said, imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. Jesus. There's no other way around it. Jesus didn't come around and walk and float. Sorry, he didn't float on earth. He wasn't in this bright sort of glowing gown. He probably stunk of B.O., quite frankly. Back in the day in the Middle East, very, very hot. They don't have several T-shirts and jumpers like we've bought with us in our suitcases. Jesus got mixed up in people's lives. Why? Because he wanted to win people. He loved people. He wanted to hear their stories. The woman at the well... What are you doing here in the midday heat? Well, I'll tell you why. You've got five guys going on the go. Yeah, well, shun me and they're, they're going to ridicule me and judge me for it. That's why I'm here in the midday sun. Did it bother Jesus where she come from, what she was doing? No. He was there to win that lady and actually in the end she was saved. So look, God's called us to make friends. God's called us to win people. Why? Because he wants to see some saved. 
And this is where the gospel comes in. There's a winning, there's a friendship, there's God using you wherever you are, whatever kind of culture group you're in or whatever, whatever you like, this, that, and you, God wants to use you, use you in it. But actually, Paul, at the end of these verses we've read, said, I want to do all this. I want to win people so that I might see some saved. See, the Bible tells us where we've come from. The Bible tells us that where we come from before we're saved is that we're dead in our sin. And we know death is permanent in life. Maybe you've lost someone that has been close to you. We know the permanence of death. And actually, when it comes to our spiritual state, that's also permanent too, without Jesus. And without Jesus, we, the Bible says we're dead and stinking corpses in our sin. Romans 5 says, having now been justified, which means God, having now been declared right by God himself, the judge, and the Father, by Jesus' blood, how much more will we be saved through the wrath of God through him? And this is where it gets a little bit intense. because so we've talked about how God wants to use us. We've talked about how God wants us to win people and to make friends, which we'll look at very quickly when we, uh, in terms of how we can do that in a minute. But I want to just say this, that when we're looking at the gospel, you guys need to know that God has declared you right because of Jesus. And what that means is that at one point, dead in our sin, God was actually fuming over that sin. Because God is loving, God is a father, God is all the amazing creating, he's a creator, he's in charge of the whole universe, but actually he's also a judge. And like any courtroom case where you've got maybe a murderer who's up for for, up for sentencing, he's been found guilty, you wouldn't expect the judge to say, oh, it's okay, you can go, it's fine. What will happen in our, in our day is that someone will be found guilty and they'll be sentenced to whatever amount of years in jail. Actually, in America, some people are sentenced to death. And actually, without, we find ourselves sentenced to death. We're spiritual dead as we're walking around as dead corpses. Some of us might not even know it. Even as Christians today, you might not think, well, really, I was, a, I was dead to God? Yeah, the Bible's clear, you were dead to God. But now alive in Christ. And the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus came in and stood in the gap. Instead of us getting God's anger and wrath for our mistakes and our sin, Jesus took it all. If you want to know what wrath looks like, I'll quickly go through these. That's what wrath looks like. Wrath looks like Jesus hanging on a cross. Wrath looks like huge nails pierced in his hands and his feet. Wrath looks like him suffocating on the cross for days. Wrath looks like God himself coming and dying to take our place. See, when we trust Jesus, what happens is the judge, God the Father, removes his wrath from him. And he says, you know what? You're not guilty anymore. 
You can't pretend, you can't try hard, you can't, don't, don't go down the religious route, just trust in my son who came and suffered my wrath. So that you can go, actually, scot-free. Or each of us in the courtroom before God, the judge, could all have things to say. In fact, God would say to me, Alan, you've done this. Alan, you've done that. Alan, you've upset these people. You've hurt these people. Alan, you, you had that fight all them years ago and you really hurt that guy and blah, 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 blah. The list would, be, would take days to go through. And I would no, have no other option but to say, when, when asked, guilty. So I'm guilty. And you know what? The Bible says that you might have a list that long. Or you might have a list that long. It doesn't matter. Because God's perfect. And none of us are. So you might say, yeah, yeah, but I did this. And I did this good stuff. And obviously good stuff and whatever. That kind of overcomes the bad stuff. Not in God's eyes. He's, he's, he's perfect. And actually you're talking about dead people stinking rotten in, in their sin. Trying to say that they're doing good stuff to compensate for it. It doesn't work with God. But God did not leave us to rot. God did not leave us in a state to go, whoa, what do we do now? He sent his son. He took it for us. Every single ounce of the anger, and he became sin for us. The reason why I'm saying it is because that's why we want to win our friends. I'm saying it because that's why we want to see some of our friends saved. How do we do that really quickly as we finish? I don't know if it's because I'm old and a bit disconnected. But I do think that there's nothing wrong with devices. There's nothing wrong with technology. I love it. I, in fact, a lot of my, what I do in church, I do all this, the PowerPoints and this, that, and the other. I love iPhones and iPads and all the rest. But I, and you might think, you're such a cheeky man. You don't even know me. You're telling me to get a life. I don't mean it in a bad way. But I'm, I mean it to provoke you. That we need to get lives as well as devices. Let's use our devices. Let's make friends devices. Let's connect with people with our devices. I love social media for all kinds of things. Nothing wrong with it or whatever. But let me tell you, Jesus didn't come and die, right, by just showing us on an iPhone. (laughs) He came in flesh and blood. And you might think, well, Alan, because iPhones weren't invented back in them days. Yeah, absolutely. But he could have come at any point in history, any point in history to do what he did. If you come now, flesh and blood, where you could touch, where you could still grab his cloak for healing, where you could still hear what he had to say, where you could look into your eyes, sorry, my wife's eyes, oh, she's gone, typical, but where he'd look into your eyes and say, I love you, I came here for you, I died for you. He wouldn't text you it. He wouldn't messenger you, he wouldn't tweet you on it. wouldn't Snapchat the cross on you. He wouldn't do it. Remember the beginning? Imitate me as I am imitating Christ. We need to imitate Christ. Let's use it. Let's connect with it. But let me tell you, let's get face friends. If you're chatting some deep stuff, let me tell you, I know people, and even personally, people get into some really deep stuff on Messenger and, and texting and this, that, and the other. It's really hard, isn't it? Sometimes someone can text and they go... They're angry with me. Anyone been there? And you go, they're angry with me for like five days. And then you see them and they go, 
oh, you were angry with me on Monday. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? Not, well, I read your text and it sounded angry. I wasn't angry. And you're like, oh. Things just get then a bit messed up relationally. So do you see what I'm saying? So yeah, text, fine. Not a problem with that. I'm not saying don't do that. I would never say that. But please, to win your friends, to see some of your friends saved, connect with them. Listen, I spoke to someone in my own church. I won't say who. I spoke to someone in my own church recently who was expressing, and, and when I say deep loneliness, I'm talking deep loneliness. She, the person was really upset. She said, I've got no friends in the church. I've got no friends actually outside the church. I'm really, really lonely. And actually, I'm, I've got anxiety, and I'm sure I've got depression. I probably need to go to the doctors. And do you know the first thing I said was, I said, that really shocks me, because actually on your Facebook, it looks like you're a social animal of the year. But you know what? Sometimes on Facebook, we just get the highlights of people's lives. And then and I do it too. Is that now I go, oh, they're having a really good time. My life really sucks. <laughs> Am I the only person who thinks that? We, and then we end up comparing ourselves. But sometimes we've got to just, just be wise and think, do you know what? This is just a highlight. This is a moment. For this poor, poor girl, she's desperately lonely. But on her Facebook, she seems like she's got tons of friends and doing loads of different things. It's not. There's breaks in between it all, but she piles it all onto a pier, and we have to talk about it, and we have to work through it uh, in order to help her. Quickly, use what you like doing. Win your friends by doing stuff you like doing. Your things can be different to others. We like different things. Stamp collecting. Anyone stamp collect? I stamp collect, just so you know. And it's really weird and it's really geeky, but I stamp collect and no one else stamp collects, but I've got friends who stamp collect too. So I, all those stamp collectors I can hang out with win them. I don't really stamp collect, by the way. But if I did, I would be hanging out with my stamp collector friends because no one else does what I do. Okay, in my case, I love football. I go to football clubs. I play, I'm getting a bit old now. My knee's falling down, cracking up and all the rest of it. But I play football. Or I go down to the same hairdressers. I go down to the same places where I just connect with people and, and, and before you know it, you kind of talk to people. In fact, when we planted our church, really quickly, when we planted our church, the first few Sundays in, we saw a lady saved quite early on and she was my hairdresser. I told her she had to come to church because she scalped me and like made me look really bold and I said, you need forgiveness for that, so you need to come to church. Um, that's, not, that's not true, but anyway. But she... she I just went for my haircut a few times, got talking to her. She'd been to church. In fact, we had some connections through, through some, um, like, she was like, she'd married to my dad's cousin, this, that, and the other. And next minute, she's in our church. She hears the gospel, and she's saved. She's gone for my haircut. Normal conversation. You know, it's like, oh, are you going out this weekend? Yeah, no. In fact, I did say no. I was like, no, no, I'm not going out this weekend. Oh, what'd you do on Saturday then? Oh, well, you know, probably just hang out a little bit at home. Oh, did you do anything on Sundays? Oh, yeah, I go to church. Oh, I used to go to church. Oh, did you? And then next minute, you've got like a really normal conversation. Isn't, I know it feels a bit scary, but it's not. I've asked people, I've sometimes said, when people, non-Christians have come up to me and they said, oh, I've got a really bad arm and, you know, I've got a bad back and this, that, and the other. I said, oh, I'll pray for you. And they're like, oh, would you really do that? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you tonight. And when I say my prayers kind of thing, just dumbing it down a little bit. And non-Christians have then turned to me and said, no, you can pray for me now. Oh, okay. You do. 
we'll just ask, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not in a church meeting. Hello. You're supposed to come to church to do this. But anyway, so God's like, you know, God's doing all kinds of stuff. Even though I would do a lot of winning and building relationships and stuff, God sometimes uses moments like that. Two more things. Be inclusive in your relationships from church. As a youth group, be inclusive. Do things that you know your friends like doing and invite them to come along to. If your friends, if you've got good friends in your church, think, let's hang out with some of my friends so I can introduce my friends to some of my church friends who are okay and they'll be all right together. Just be normal, okay? We've been got into it. Just rely on the Holy Spirit. There's times where I've just been hanging out with someone, building a relationship with someone, and God just spoke to me about a situation. Just said, look, this person's really struggled in their life. We did it with young people for I don't know how many years. Guy came into our youth group, and God just showed me a picture of him in, in, in turmoil in his bedroom. In fact, God showed me a picture of his bedroom. It was really weird. And I described his bedroom. Hmm? It was spot. No, it was a bit dirty. He had his, you know, like trousers on the floor. And I said, you should clean up your bedroom, you know. But anyway, God showed me this picture of his bedroom. And in this bedroom is you. And every night you cry yourself to sleep. Now, I've built a relationship with the guy. I've won him. Like, spent time with him. He trusted me. And he went, how on earth would you know that? I said, I don't know. It's a bit weird, isn't it? He was like, I said, but I think God showed me it. And actually, from that day, he started to come to church. He made a commitment to Jesus. That was just through just a normal relationship, normal friendship. And then God broke in. So don't underestimate what God can do in you. But don't underestimate the value and the power of friendships too. Okay? Yasmin, sorry, I went over there. Hello? Oh, yes, go on. <laughs> so the first question we have is, how can you help the Christian population to grow when you're too young to plant a church? Oh, what a good question. You build your church where you're at. You all, I'm guessing you all have youth groups in church. churches. Anyone not have a youth group in church? You don't have a youth group in your church. Are you a church plant? Oh, like church. You do. Now, it, it, to be honest, in our church in Whitehaven, we don't have a youth group yet, but we do have young people in it. The reason is mainly because we don't have anyone to do our youth, group, our youth work. So I would say to anyone who doesn't have a, uh, a youth group, or, but actually for those who do have a youth group, is, is do what I've just said today. You need, to get, you need to win your friends. Just win your friends, you know, and if, and if you find that there's things in common with your friends at church and there's things, you know, to friends outside the school, be, be the initiator of relationships. Me and my wife, were, we, we, it gets quite tiring at times, but it was one of the things that we feel were quite good, like God's given us the gift and faith for, which make friendships and gather people. Sometimes we kind of gather people and we go, I think these guys would really get on with these lot. So actually in a church plan, that's really good because... We then put people together and they go, oh, we really like each other. And then we get, we get left out and we don't have any friends. Um, but, that, but, that's, but that's fine. And, uh, and we make, we make, we've, got, we've got friends. Don't feel sorry for me. It's fine. 
But, um, but basically, just be, like I said, just be normal, be, be real. Just do it like, I don't know what you guys, well, yeah, like I said, get off your phones and go bowling or something. <laughs> Sorry. That's my answer. Nice. <laughs> um, the, ne- the next question is, how do we know that we have gifts us when we are still doing the things that we did before? The gospel at the center is about the grace of God. When I talked about <clears throat> my upbringing and all the stuff, I mean, I didn't have time to go into all the details, but I did a lot of really, really bad stuff. And I did a lot of really bad stuff right through into my 20s as well. I was 19 and I had my first son. We had our son before we got married. Uh, no, actually, we got married, then we had our son. Then we had my second son, he's the drummer in the band uh, a couple of years later so by the age of 21 I had like two kids hadn't got a clue I wasn't a nice person all the stuff that happened through my upbringing made me very angry made me very bitter Um, I was full of like full of like self-pity self-pity is like where anything that happens to you kind of you do end up feeling very very sorry for yourself should I tell you how sorry I felt felt about myself one one time I just wanted to buy a guitar I couldn't afford a guitar. My wife quite rightly said, no, Alan, we need money for the bills. We need money for food. We need money for the kids' clothes. And you're talking about getting a guitar. And I'm like, but I want a guitar. But we can't afford a guitar, Alan. And and I'm not joking. I was in my late 20s, and I started crying. Like, because I couldn't get what I want. That was a fruit of really bad self-pity. And the point is that right through my life, I became a Christian when I was six. And when I became a Christian at six years old, I encountered the forgiveness of God and like a weight just lifted off me. Because like I grew up on, quite, like I said, in quite a rough estate. I knew what right and wrong was by the age of six. <clears throat> and by the age of six, when I met Jesus, I thought, Jesus loves me? And then it's like, I got on the bus and I was like, I've met Jesus! I've met Jesus! And I, I, I told you I was weird. But like all my friends were like, what's he going on about? That weird rock and mod uh, teddy boy. And, uh, and I'd be like, I think I'd, I'd met Jesus. I'd not seen him, but I met him. I, I'm like, he's real. And that from six years on, all the way up into like mid-twenties, into my thirties, even now I still make mistakes. So I would say this, that I've discovered a God who just keeps coming back, who keeps coming back, who keeps coming back, who keeps coming back to me. There have been times where I've been at parties, I've been high on drugs, full of alcohol, and I've heard the voice of God to the point where I've stood up and I've walked out sober and I've, and, and I've encountered God in a new way. Went back to church. In fact, that was a real life-changing moment. I, I turned got out of this party the next day. I'm like, I need to go back to church. For a very long time, if you struggle with sin stuff as a Christian, you might think, I've just got to be a better person. I've just got to be a better person. But all you need to do is just look to Jesus, you need to be reminded of what he's done for you, that you're forgiven, that you've, as these verses in Romans 5 says, you have now been justified by Jesus' blood. That means you have, no, you have no power to say, I'm right before God. Only God has that power. And as a Christian, when we trust in the, Jesus as he took the wrath and punishment on the cross, <clears throat> he's like, he says, when you trust in Jesus, you're declared right, no matter what you do from this point. I declare you right. 
So as a Christian, what we need to be doing is of what God's done for us. And then Paul says very, very clearly, very simply, and it's still something I'm learning too, because I still sin. He says, say no to sin. Walk away from it if you have to walk away. Speak to someone that you trust, whether it be a church leader, or be a friend who could help you and pray with you. Be open, be honest, resist pride. Don't say, yeah, yeah, but it's not as bad as other. Just, just admit it before God. Confess to God. Trust in Jesus in the cross and the grace of God. And, and, and if you need help, work it through and talk to someone about it. But no sin, believe you, honest to God, no sin is, is, <coughs> is, is too. Cool. And we have five minutes for one more. And that is, if we are here to tell people about Jesus, then why isn't every Christian doing it? Because, remember the beginning? Because we're all over here thinking other people are doing it. And uh, the more this group here changes and starts to go over here, and we spread ourselves out, and we go, actually, we're all called to be missionaries. So we change the big, dense population over there and put... All of us with the caravan guys and the gifted guys and whatever. Because there is gifts of, of the evangelist in the church who, uh, who help to equip the church to, to reach out and, and to help us in that. But to be honest, it's a battle as a church leader that I face all the time to try and get the church to see outward rather than inward. And again, it comes back down to that heartbeat of what Paul says. We're here to imitate Jesus. We're not here to imitate Christ Central, New Frontiers, any other network, any other stream, any other preacher, anybody else online, whatever. We're here to imitate Jesus. And you know what? Jesus loved the lost. That's why he came. He said, look, I haven't come for people who are well, who think they're well and they're all sorted. I've come for people who are sick. I've come to see people saved. I'm here to bring the answer. And, and, and when he's in the church. So the short answer is, we need to get back to God's Jesus' commission. Like Josh said yesterday, to go out into the world, make disciples. Do not wait till your 18th birthday to think, right, I'm now old enough to go and make disciples and I can be all holy and great and fantastic and get stuck in. Let me tell you, I had years and years of youth work. Me and my wife led a youth work in a other church in a, in a town nearby for about 15 years. And we saw young people upon young people upon young people giving their lives to Jesus, not through me preaching the gospel, but through them inviting their friends, speaking to their friends. Yes, they did come to things like this and churches and uh, stuff, and some were saved in them contexts, but it was down to the young people who invited their friends along and spent time with their friends talking about deep stuff. Everyone's got questions, not just you. Your friends have got questions too. And if you don't know the answer, don't worry about that. You can always find it out. Or invite someone to come and talk to your friends or whatever. Awesome. Thank you, Alan. Um, Yeah, round of applause. Why not?